Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the continuation of the Codependency Masterclass. Today, we are talking about 20 signs of codependency. And of course, I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. In this video, we'll explore the symptoms of codependency, discuss how they make sense in context, what their function actually is, and identify at least one strategy to address each symptom. So let's start out with one of the most basic, low self-worth. A lot of people with codependency blame themselves for everything that's gone on in their life, and they have a lot of guilt and shame as a result. Now, this may have developed because as a child, they were blamed or guilted for everything that happened, or it may have happened because as a child, they thought they had more control than they did. So they took responsibility for things that were not their fault, but they didn't have a caregiver to help them understand the faulty logic that they were using. As adults, it's important for people who have codependent traits to start developing their self-worth, start separating the things they can control from the things they can't control. Start evaluating the things for which they still carry with them guilt and shame, looking at those things and saying, how do I actually feel about this right now? Was it my fault? Was there anything I could have done? How can I forgive myself and learn from it so I don't do it again and move forward instead of continuing to keep my energy tied up in guilt and shame? Likewise, in the present, when they feel the need to blame themselves, when something goes wrong and they go to that automatic reaction of, it's my fault, how can they become more aware of that automatic reaction, that automatic self-blame, and stop, evaluate the facts, figure out what they actually have control over, and then make decisions from there about what blame they may or may not have in a particular situation. The next characteristic is what we call an unstable sense of self. And that is one of those sort of amorphous terms that I think is important that we uh, define. When people have a stable sense of self, they know who they are, they know what they like, they are in touch with themselves. They know their thoughts, wants, and needs pretty much in the moment. Now, not everybody is completely connected to themselves, but 
if they stop, they can look inside and go, okay, this is something that I like. This is something that I value. A person with codependency often does not have that. They look for happiness outside of themselves because they don't know what they like. So they can't look for happiness inside themselves. They just have no clue. And they are so afraid of abandonment. They are so afraid of being alone that they are trying to connect with people in a way that makes them happy. So they are only happy if they are making other people happy. They are unaware or repressing their authentic selves. They've often been taught if they grew up in an addicted household or they lived in an addicted household as an adult for a while, they may have been taught not to talk, not to trust, not to feel, not to think. So they quit checking in with themselves. They don't know who they are anymore or what they want. They've abandoned themselves in order to try to be whatever this other person wants, in order to try to be the chameleon. So they've abandoned themselves and they've repressed that because ultimately their fear of abandonment is so strong that it's more important to make sure that somebody else doesn't leave them than to make sure they don't abandon themselves. And they feel empty or worthless when they're not engaged in a crisis. Most of the time, people who grew up in codependent households, there was constantly a crisis. There was constantly something going on. So that is the norm for the person with codependency. When they are not in the midst of a crisis, there are two things that happen. Number one, the anxiety goes way up because they start waiting for the other shoe to drop. But number two, when they're not focused on a crisis and they start sitting with themselves and being with themselves for a minute, they start recognizing that they don't know who they are or what they like if they are not something for somebody. So to address the unstable sense of self, it's going to be important for the person who is codependent to start becoming more mindful of their thoughts, wants, needs, things they enjoy. It's going to be important for them to reconnect with their, themselves on an emotional and cognitive level as well as a physical level. Noticing, remember not all memories are in the form of pictures or words, but noticing some of those sensations and trying to figure out, okay, I am feeling anxious right now. I'm feeling a gnawing in the pit of my tummy. What does that mean? As they become more connected with themselves, they will start getting a more stable sense of self. However, in order to connect with that sense of self, it's going to be really important for the person with codependency to have a safe connection with someone else who's there, and a lot of times this is the therapist, who's there saying, you are awesome for who you are. Tell me who you are so I can learn about you because I'm curious and I'm not going to reject you based on your thoughts, wants, and needs because they're yours. I may not agree with every single one of them, but I am going to accept you as a person and not reject you as a person. And that's really important in order to get over that self-abandonment, in order to it's important for people not to feel like they're going to be abandoned by the other important person in their life. Which takes us to abandonment fears. When people grow up in a chaotic household, 
They can't count on their caregivers to be there to meet their needs. They can't count on their caregivers to be there emotionally and sometimes physically. And I say a chaotic household. I didn't say addicted household. Why? Because this can be true in a household where the caregivers have a mental illness or where there's domestic violence. It's important to recognize that when people or children are growing up in a chaotic household, they don't feel safe. And a lot of times in these households, they don't receive comfort. They don't receive uh, love, proactive love. They are just, the only time they receive attention is when there's a problem. So they don't learn that they are lovable for who they are and they fear rejection. Therefore, as adults, they grow up centering their lives around others. If I do what these people want me to do, then they won't leave me. If I do everything right, then I can control the situation and I can keep people from leaving me. Instead of being able to say, I'm awesome and I'm going to be me and the people who like that will stick around, but I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And that is, you know, way down the line in the recovery process, because that's hard for a lot of people to say, let alone somebody who is terrified of abandonment. And people with codependency are very often terrified of anger in other people because they grew up in a household where sporadically, without warning, they would be the target of a caregiver's anger or rage. They would be observing a caregiver's anger or rage at another caregiver. So they saw anger as a threat instead of anger as a emotional response that tells you, hey, you might want to check and see if there's a threat. Anger itself became the threat. And when people get angry, that's terrifying. As an adult or an older adolescent who's recovering from codependency issues, it's important to develop an awareness of what anger is, why people feel anger, and the ability to assess in the present context whether they are actually safe. A lot of times people who grew up in, in dangerous households or households where there was a lot of anger, when someone gets angry in the present, they flash back to the past. So it's really important for them to be able to learn how to stop and say, okay, am I feeling scared because of what's going on right now? Or is this triggering memories from the past? And then developing tools to deal with that. People who have codependency issues often are compulsive caretakers and controllers. And you know, the three C's can be really challenging because the person with codependency feels like if they put themselves in a position where they're indispensable. They are caretaking for this person. They're doing things for this person that the person can't do for themselves or they don't think the person can do for themselves. And if they control every single uh, string on that marionette, then that person won't leave and bad things won't happen. And this is a very immature uh, 
type of reasoning. You know, the child developed this type of reasoning and they said, okay, it, if I do A, B, C, and D, then things are going to be okay. And they learned from a very early age there was sort of a recipe for trying to make sure that the um, dysfunctional other in the family did not become angry, did not abandon them. They may not have specifically figured it out on their own, the enabler in the family, the other caregiver, for example, may have taught them you, when, your, when your other person is around, when the dysfunctional other is around, these are the things you can do, these are the things that you can't do, and these are the eggshells that we have to walk on. So they started figuring out, okay, we have to maintain rigid control, there are rules, and that keeps us safe. In adulthood, the person in recovery needs to evaluate every time they start trying to control something. Number one, is it something that even needs to be controlled? Number two, is it something that is their right to control? You can control your own feelings, you can control your own responses, you can control your own thoughts, you can't control other people. You can control the environment, but is it your place to try to control everything in the environment? Or is it everybody's responsibility? And this is a huge learning curve for a lot of people with codependency to be able to unhook from the dysfunctional other, unhook from their significant other and say, okay, this is me. These are my thoughts, feelings, wants, needs, and responsibilities. And these are yours. And you need to do what you can do for you. And that I'll be there to support you as long as you're doing it, but I'm not going to do it for you. I'll give you an example in, in recovery, in counseling. A lot of times I work with people who need what we call wraparound services. They need to connect with um, SNAP or they need to connect with Medicaid or something like that. And that can be kind of overwhelming when you haven't done that before. These systems can get really cumbersome to deal with. So sometimes I'll have people make those calls or do their first connections in my office. I'm not going to do it for them. I am not going to call and make the appointment for them. They can make an appointment themselves. They're adults, but I will be there for emotional and moral support. So if for some reason they had a problem, I'm there. But when they do it and they succeed, then they realize, hey, I can do it myself. And a codependent response would be to do it for them, to make the appointment for them, to make, to drive them to their appointment, to do all of these things. A healthy response is to say, this is something you can do. You know, I'll cheer you on, but I'm not going to do it for you. I will allow you to experience your own successes and use your own strengths. People who are codependent live in extremes. They are either extremely in control or extremely out of control. So when things start to go out of control, sometimes they're just like, fine, I give up. And then they withdraw. They're extremely responsible. 
or when they start getting overwhelmed and exhausted, they may become extremely irresponsible. And they may go from love to hate. They love this person with all of their heart. And then the person does something that they don't like. And then they hate the person. And they're so angry at them. But they do the same thing for themselves. They may go, maybe not love, but they can deal with being in their own skin to hating themselves. And being filled with guilt and shame and remorse. They may have obsessive anxiety about what will happen next when they grew up in this chaotic household. They couldn't anticipate, especially as a child, they couldn't anticipate what was going to happen. And as adults, they still hang on to that because they are expecting what has always been to continue to be. They're expecting people to be unpredictable. They're expecting people to be untrustworthy. They're hypervigilant, trying to catch people doing wrong. And you may be scratching your head going, what sense does that make? Well, if you catch somebody before they fall completely, then you keep them from hurting themselves. Your child's learning to walk and they start to wobble and you catch them, you keep them from falling on their bum. Somebody's in recovery and they start to get weak or wobbly in their recovery and you catch them, then they may not completely relapse. However, if you keep catching them, they're never going to learn how to study themselves. If you keep catching the child and not letting them fall, you know, not far, but just on their bum, uh, then they don't learn how to balance themselves. They don't learn how to walk effectively. As adults or people in recovery, the person needs to become aware of when they're being hypervigilant, when they're being overly suspicious or helicoptering or whatever word that they want to use and start recognizing the importance of letting people walk on their own. And if they end up falling, okay. Well, we can deal with that, but it's important to allow people to take responsibility for their own behaviors and not spend so much time looking for them to do wrong. Because when you're looking for them to do wrong, you're going to find wrong. Even if it's not there, you're going to start seeing hints and glimpses and assuming when things might be completely benign. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. People with codependency have difficulty identifying and modulating their own emotions, which often ends up resulting in inappropriate, intense anger, either at other people or themselves. Distress tolerance skills are essential here, as well as developing emotional intelligence, the ability to identify 
their feelings, early warning signs of their feelings, triggers for their feelings, and ways to modulate their feelings is really important. They didn't develop that as children. Children need a secure attachment. They need a caregiver to help them learn how to identify their emotions and figure out, okay, what do I do with this? A lot of people with codependency never had that. So it's important for them to work on developing their emotional intelligence. They often have communication difficulties because they grew up in a house where communication was crappy. They may exhibit multiple communication patterns, being aggressive when they feel like things are starting to get out of control. They may blame, threaten, or guilt in order to try to bring people back into the fold, in order to try to control them. They may be passive aggressive where they say, okay, that's fine, whatever, do what you want, even though you know it's going to break my heart. <laughs> or they may be completely passive. They may just say, I will do whatever you want me to do, even if I hate it. And it's important to examine what these mean. And basically in every situation, it means I'm going to do whatever I can do in order to try to prevent you from abandoning me. If I can blame, threaten, guilt, manipulate, and suck you back in, well, then I'm going to do that because that helps me feel safe. If I need to be passive aggressive, which again is going to use guilt to kind of bring you back in because there's that aggressive point and that's what I'm going to do. Or if I need to conform, then guess what? That may be what I'm going to do. People with codependency, well, go back and going back to communication difficulties. It's important for people in recovery to start paying attention to their communication styles, to learn how to communicate assertively, where they say, these are my thoughts and wants and needs, and they are just as important as your thoughts, wants, and needs. This is what I would like to see happen. What would you like to see happen? Instead of telling people what needs to happen all the time, getting input, you know, tell me what your thoughts, wants, and needs are at this moment. Paying attention to when they communicate aggressively and use some of these behaviors and exploring how they learned that growing up. You know, maybe that's how their caregivers communicated with each other or with them. Okay. What would you rather do to solve the situation? What is your hoped for outcome and what would be a healthier, more productive way of achieving it? Poor boundaries, poor personal boundaries for the person who's codependent. And this is another one where uh, they are in extremes. They can be extremely rigid in their boundaries. This is the way things have to go. And I've got my thoughts are going to hold steady and I'm actually going to ignore your boundaries and push on through and you know, assert my boundaries over yours. But their personal boundaries can also be very weak when their significant others uh, or the dysfunctional others are sad. They take on that feeling of sadness. When their significant others are scared, they take on that feeling of fear and they try to fix it. So it's important to recognize that 
boundaries are on roller skates in people with codependency when it's helpful for the boundaries to be rigid when it protects them they may, they may keep them up but a lot of times their boundaries are overpowering other people and not respecting others it will be important for people to start becoming aware of what boundaries are and I have a video about that if you um, are not aware and to try to start evaluating how weak or how strong are their boundaries with different people because your boundaries differ with different people and cognitively or perceptually people with codependency often have a lot of what we call cognitive distortions this is not uncommon because people who experienced a chaotic household growing up formed their schema based on early childhood thought processes which are concrete you know based they make their decisions based on what they can see hear and feel in the moment you know they can't extrapolate you know what else might have happened or what could happen next week what they see hear and feel in the moment they think dichotomously it's all good or all bad and they think very personally children think they have a lot more control than they actually do so they take responsibility for things so the person with codependency often thinks in all or nothing terms you are either you either love me or you hate me you're either doing everything right or you're a screw-up it's important to help them start looking at exceptions and they feel the same way about themselves they feel like they're good some days or they're complete screw-ups other days and they hold on to those mistakes and they dwell on those and they have a lot of they have a lot of difficulty letting go of mistakes personalization everything's about them you did this because you don't care about me you did this because you hate me you did this because of me and it's important for the person to, with codependency to evaluate other alternatives maybe they did it because they were in pain maybe they did it because they weren't thinking it didn't have anything to do with you it was them being insensitive what are the other alternatives for why this might have happened besides you why is it could it be what are some other explanations besides it being your fault mind reading growing up in a chaotic household the child learned that it was important to anticipate their caregivers every thought want and need in order to prevent that anger so they carried that into adulthood that is a default way of responding for them and it's important to encourage them to explore and to communicate more effectively with the people in their lives so they're not assuming that they know what other people are thinking feeling wanting or needing jumping to conclusions without evidence it's important to help them get the facts about what's going on magnification is another um, cognitive distortion and again this is another fact-based error so it's important to have people examine with what they're feeling is this as big of a deal as you are anticipating that it is likewise with minimization 
if they're saying, oh, this isn't a problem at all, encouraging them to evaluate the facts and identify whether it is not a big deal or they're just trying to avoid it because they don't want to confront something. Codependency often develops in response to a situation in which the person felt unsafe and disempowered, i.e. traumatized, as a result of a loved one's behavior. A lot of times we talk about trauma in terms of reactions to a stranger's behavior or in terms of reactions to victimization. And in this case, the trauma came as a result of a loved one's behavior. They were... Um, Maybe they were uh, involved in addictions. Maybe they were struggling with depression or anxiety or what, whatever the case may be. When this happens in childhood, it's interpreted through that dichotomous, all or nothing, safe or unsafe lens. It's personalized because the child thinks everybody understands it the way I do and it's all my fault. And it's concrete. A always leads to B. If I don't eat my vegetables, then bad things are going to happen. If the person starts to feel unsafe and disempowered in an adult relationship, they may believe the dysfunctional other when they deny, minimize, blame, uh, and, and blame the person with codependency for what's going on. You know, I wouldn't have to drink if you didn't do this. Or my problem is not that bad. You're exaggerating. You're making this up. The person with codependency may want to believe that. So they tightly cling to their vision of the relationship. When it fails to improve, they must address the cognitive dissonance or the difference between what they want, what they want reality to be, and what reality actually is. When they do that, then a lot of times they start telling themselves these, these dysfunctional thoughts that have to do with control, such as, I, I must need to try harder to make this work, or it's my fault that this is not working. And those thinking styles start to become more and more extreme as the dysfunctional other's behavior becomes more and more extreme. When the dysfunctional relationship occurs in childhood, it prevents the child from developing secure attachment, so there's a treatment target, safety in their own skin as well as in their, in their house, self-awareness and self-esteem, emotional awareness and emotion management skills, boundaries and communication skills. So understanding the symptoms how they could have developed to help a child or a person survive a very chaotic, dysfunctional relationship, and then identifying alternative ways to help them cope with life in the present is essentially what we're talking about in the recovery process for codependency.